welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and we're glad to have back with us on the show, J.D. Greer. J.D. is the pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Under his leadership, the Summit has grown from a church of 300 to more than 12,000. J.D. is the founder of J.D. Greer Ministries and hosts Summit Life, a daily 30-minute radio broadcast and weekly TV program. He's the author of several books, including his latest, Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. But before we talk to J.D., I want to remind you to leave us a review if you enjoy they our that. interviews. They don't do that. I, it really irritates me. Have I, I told am, you I'm, I'm unhappy I'm with that? They don't do that? Existence. Okay. <laughs> and let's hear from uh, Ed Stetzer, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine, the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Didn't we just have J.D. on? It's like, how many times can we have J.D. on? We just had him in the Great Communicator series, and and uh, and he did a great job. And and by the way, like tens of thousands of people listen to these, but they don't leave reviews, J.D. Do you have any friends that could leave a review? Anyway, uh, let's, I let's will not. go. I will you leave could a leave a review. You could leave a review. I could, you know what? I just want to say, I've never noticed this. I've been on this lots of times. Daniel has the perfect DJ voice. Oh, no, he's totally oh, amazing. There you go. I'm just going to go review that and be like, I don't know about the Ed guy. And the put, put that in the review. Like, put that in the review. <laughs> That'll be the review that Daniel has an amazing DJ voice. I can have a DJ voice, but I have to put it on. All right. So, um, so, so here's the thing. So we are just coming out of, uh, the Super Bowl. Daniel, that's a big sports thing. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like he doesn't know, but I don't know. So, and if things, you know, we had those, he gets us ads and I should say JD and I are, we serve in this theological advisory committee with, he gets us. Um, and so everybody's talking about it. I, I don't know at the time of this recording whether or not the article I'm writing in a major secular publication gets it in or not, because it's a little tricky to to write about these things. So so we'll see. But I've written lots about it. JD's written lots about it. We'll link all those in the show notes. So um, yeah. So JD has a, a kind of a book. I think perfectly timed. We're in a you know that he gets this campaign doing a lot of like on the air people. And this is just you know the, the Super Bowl kind of the beginning uh, of this. But so you write this book. Um, which I, which I had the privilege of reading ahead of time. And, and I think I endorsed it. I endorsed your book. Am I on your book? Yeah, you did. Okay, good. Good. was good. I was glad I did. It's called Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. And so it's not a book geared towards like, you know, Daniel, me, whatever, though you can read it. And I would encourage you to, but it's actually geared towards people who don't know Christ. But I thought it was fascinating that you wrote it based on the book of Romans. So talk to us about why that is, because that does create some additional challenges uh, and opportunities there as well. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, let's just be clear. It, it's longer than 10 words. You know, it's right, not true. Like the, yeah, but the 10 words are the logic points of the turning logic points of Paul's argument he lays out in the book of Romans. And that's how I, I thought, you know, what is the most classic book ever written on the gospel? It's obviously the book of Romans. Uh, it's written for first century Romans. And the question was, if Paul had written it, those same logic points to 21st century Americans, what would it have sounded like? Now, let's acknowledge Paul's every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mine's not, but it's it's it, it's using it's using those universal questions that people ask in every age and saying those are still the questions that we're asking today. Um, I had a privilege of uh, having a, a, an unbelieving friend. She was a professor at um, one of our, our our universities around here. And writes for a lot of secular, you know, things, and 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 she just uh, she was in the process of discovering the truth of the gospel, and so she kind of read it along with me as I kind of went chapter by chapter and said, "Read this," and 
And she's one of the comments she made and I actually put it in the book. Um, she said, it is amazing how a document written 2000 years ago still addresses the most fundamental questions that secular academics have today. Um, you know, the audience for the book you mentioned is definitely the, somebody that's not a believer, but I read basic Christianity when I was in college. Um, Basic Christianity by John R. W. Stott. And I remember then and still to this day, I'm not totally sure who was that book for like the the motivated seeker or was it for the young Christian? Yeah, totally. I mean, mere Christianity. Who doesn't read mere Christianity and then and then give it right. to their non-Christian friends, but you also read it for your own Christian faith. Yeah. That's right. And so that's what I hope this is. And I know you sort of have to say that because you're trying to sell your book. I just wanted to say that in front of everybody. <laughs> but I actually think that too. So I'm not so I really enjoyed the book because one of the things I really liked is it's helping it would help me frame and I really found it helpful how you framed some of the discussions of Christianity around key issues today. So 10 words, sure, but it's more like these are 10, I mean, they're almost like tying into significant questions about what you need to know. So if you love the beauty of the gospel, I think you'll love, uh, you'll love the book. And, and, I, and I think, you know, here we are, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a mess today, um, mm-hmm. even like around this whole, you know, like the whole he gets us thing, like, what's the secret agenda? What's this? And so... You know how do we how do we talk about Christianity today right. to a world that sees us increasingly as the bad guys in the current cultural milieu and and you know you talked about the secular academic so so help us think about that because again I would discourage people you know give out the book give away the book I think that's super helpful but gosh it's just it's just hard it's not just you've lost your home field advantage it's a sense that maybe we're the problem in the world. Uh, I'm the problem. It's me. So how do you how do you address that and share the gospel? Yeah, um, that's a that's a great question because in the first chapter, um, I lay out almost a positive case for deconstruction. Now it, it, it's brief. This is not a you know. No, but I tr- thought that was fascinating. Yeah, but it, it's saying that, and I don't want to overplay this, but in some sense, Paul was actually writing Romans you know, as part of a deconstruction project in one sense, because he's rebelling against some of the established religious hierarchies, you know, in his case, the rabbinic, you know, Judaism, also, you know, Roman, um, the way that the Romans thought about religion. And Paul is saying, hey, there's some good questions in here, but we got to strip away a lot of the religious paraphernalia and a lot of the power paraphernalia. And we've got to get back to um, to what is, who is God and what has he been saying? And so he starts with these universal questions and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to deconstruct this and then get back to that universal question. And, 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 and like the relevance that they have, like, how do we know there's a God? Where has he revealed himself? Um, here's a question I don't, I've never seen addressed, or at least haven't seen it addressed on a lot of, of, of apologetic type books is if there really is a God, why don't more people believe in it? Paul answers that question right there in chapters one and two. Then, you know, well, what about religion? Won't religion fix the problem? So Paul debunks religion as to why, it, you know, it's broken. Um, then he gets to questions like, um, uh, you know, is it possible to know for sure that you're going to um, to go to what, 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 what does faith mean? If the Christian Christianity is true, why is why is religion so hard? Um, why is 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 Christianity in particular so hard? And he and and, and he's 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 taking that kernel that that core truth, that essential Christianity, and he's trying to separate it from a lot of the husk in his day of some toxic culture. And so I think we, we recognize, and this is a bigger discussion than we're in today, but we recognize that while deconstruction, we would say, is a mostly unhealthy movement, it starts with some really necessary healthy questions. Hmm. 
Yeah, and it's and it starts with Christians asking themselves, you know, what are they a part of? And I think maybe uh, some of what you're getting at, uh, JD, is uh, are, are you seeing something about the evangelical church in the United States? Um, and are we missing something? Is this part of the reason why you wrote this book? Because I, I get the sense that uh, obviously you're writing for potentially skeptics and seekers, but there is that component where sounds like you're also talking to those who are trying to stay convinced whether they should stay in the church or leave the church. I mean, what are we missing here? Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly who I, who I was thinking about, because what we're missing is that we've um, taken artificial constructs that go along with Christianity that a lot of times are as much about society and about um, they, and, and, and we've conflated those with the essential message of the gospel so that minor things become come central things and not that minor things are not important those questions but there is a, a center that everything else is supposed to grow out of um you know we protestants and i'm a protestant um we you know reacted in the 16th century against what we saw is this kind of like you know artificial hierarchy built around the church well it's a little bit ironic but here we are in the 21st century we have our own hierarchies that we have built around it um, and uh, when I say hierarchies, I, I, I'm probably using the wrong word there because I'm not trying to talk through some of those questions of authority. I, I just mean we have have constructs around that are very confusing when somebody from the outside looks in and says, is Christianity a set of morals to adopt? Is it a um, is it a self-help program? Because most of the Christian books out there are about how to you know become a better version of yourself. Um, is it a political platform? Because that's how the media thinks of it. Is evangelical is is synonymous with a platform? You know, what are what is what is what is the the, the beating core behind these things? Because that's what Paul was going for. Because he knew that was going to be the um, the dunamis, the word he used in, in Romans, that would ultimately um, not only transform a life but transform a society. Mm. You know, sometimes you hear people talk about um, uh, belonging and then believing uh, and then behaving, right? Um, and all these three components are essential for somebody to to uh, maybe to be a Christian, or at least there's dynamics here. In your book, I mean, I don't, I don't get a sense that you're completely just taking a rational, like uh, apologetic approach to why one should believe. Can you talk about the interplay of why behaving and belonging and and uh, and belief maybe have some interplay and and what are you trying to do in terms of the book to to maybe leverage one or or maybe all three of those? Yeah, it's interesting. The book of Romans itself is written to deal with a societal basically crisis um, in the church at Rome that Jews and Gentiles are really having difficulty getting along, and what Paul is trying to show them is yes, um, the gospel is going to give you the internal machinery. It's going to give you the, um, the, 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 the value set, the way to live that ultimately is going to bring that harmony that you are, are, are looking for. Um, along the way, dealing with the societal question, he pins the greatest treatise ever written on, on, on the glories of the gospel and where it comes from and and what the eternal realities behind it are. Um, you know, that's very interesting to me that that in a fractured society, Paul is going to take that problem and use it with, you know, and, and say that brings us to the gospel. Well, you know, here we are now in, in the in the face of 
um, just all the, the the strife that we experience on a near continual basis. Um, you look at at just, I mean, some of our um, the the he gets us type of 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 the message that's it, it's speaking into this uh, a fractured society and the way that 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 we know something's not right. But no matter how many you know, um, no matter how many you know moments of holding hands and we're all together in this that lasts for a moment, but then it just, the next day we wake up and go right back to the way that we were. Um, that The gospel that Paul prescribes to the Romans in the first century is the same gospel that transforms American society in the 21st century. You know, so uh, full disclosure, I, yeah, I think people know I'm a big J.D. Greer fan, we're friends. Uh, I'm not generally a big fan of like pastors who write books from their sermons because it's just like sometimes they're, they're they all think they're Chuck Swindoll who can do that and it's just like amazing and they're not or Max Lucado can and they're not. Um, but what I really liked about this, well, first of all, is some of the focus, um, but the ten words. So um, I, I would, if you wouldn't mind, I've got a question to follow up with that. Can you do the ten words in your head? Do you have all ten words? Like, can you get seven of them? I mean, you're looking around for the book, you know. I am looking around for the book. I tried to look online. Line, line. But all give right, me some. Give, let me let me do this. So I put you on the spot. Give me some of the words so we get kind of a feel, and then I'm going to come back to a couple of questions related to gotcha. that. Announcement. Announcement's the first word because Paul starts with "Into the darkness, God has spoken," and, and that Christianity is not good advice; it's good news. Um, the second uh, word is undeniable. Because Paul is going to explain that what can be known about God is actually there, and the weakness is not in the evidence, it's in the disposition that you you bring to it. Um, I'm going to skip a word here and go to the word um, religion with a, you know, it's crossed out because religion is the universal human response to the gap that we feel between us and God. Um, uh, let's uh, let's jump to the word. Dude, you can only remember four words, can't you? That's all you have is four. Exclusivity. That's one of the big <laughs> crisis points. Yeah, totally, totally. Is what is... Is it possible to believe something and not become exclusive and arrogant and condescending? Paul deals with that. It's like he's talking to readers of the New York Times when he when 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 he lays out why this doesn't lead to pride; it leads to humility. Struggle. That's one, another one that I feel like so is this unanswered question of people say, if Christianity is true, why is it so against in some ways what I naturally want to be like? Um, so those are, you know, yeah, no, but, but I wanted you to lay this out because I really wanted people to kind of get a feel for how, how it is. So it's not, it's not like, um, I guess, how, you know, again, I'm not at all being critical of Chuck Swindoll, but it's not kind of like a Chuck Swindoll sort of, I preach the sermon and then you know, kind of weaves weave through the text. I mean, it's based on Roman Romans, but the words really, I find super helpful. And he gave a few of them there. Uh, also too, one of the things that, you know, we, 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 we text and we have mutual friends who text and, and your inclusion of some of the issues around sexuality, um, you know, to me makes a lot of sense because this is one of the big questions that people have in our day. And it's an apologetic question. It's a question that has to be addressed. But for other people, it's like, well, if you're doing these 10 essential words, where do, what are these asides that are there as well? And why are those included? Yeah, so uh, there's uh, three interludes total. Um, one and and they're all a little bit assumed in Romans, and they Paul doesn't devote as much space as he does to the main argument. Um, the three are or who actually is Jesus? Paul declares him to be the Son of God in power. Um, what does that actually mean? And if Paul were in person, he would he would unpack it a little bit. So we talk about what is it? What is the Trinity and and who is Jesus as the Word of God? Um, how do we know it's true? Is the second interlude because Paul is going to put a lot of that on the resurrection? His classic. Def, you know, explanation of the resurrection or defense of it is First Corinthians 15. Um, so we just weave a little bit of that in there of, of why is the resurrection so important? The third one, the one that you just alluded to there is the question of sexuality, because Paul in 
the um, in the book of Romans, when he's talking about the result of the fall, talks about all kinds of our our um, both our, our our person as well as our relationships that are corrupted by the fall. And one of the ones he touches on is is is, is sexual brokenness. Um, one of the things we all have in common as fallen people is that is that is that is that we're broken sexually. That brokenness manifests itself in different ways. Um, but it's just it, 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 that's at the core of who we are. And Paul says this is is where you're going to see some of the effects of sin. And so realizing that that in kind of you know society, this is one of the the big kind of objection points for Christianity is is look, you're you're aren't you espousing an archaic sexual ethic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in the '90s, it was sort of don't ask, don't tell. People come in. And they, you know, as long as you won't talk about it, I won't talk about it. It won't be awkward. Um, every college student, young professional that comes to our church comes in with an assumption about what we believe and an assumption about how we believe it. Right. And if I don't get ahead of that, it's a it's yeah. a non-starter. It's, it's what Tim Keller calls a defeater. They, yeah. they, they won't even consider anything else I'm saying because of this. So I know that I've got to reset the terms and yeah. say, here's what the Bible actually teaches. And how Christians approach it? No, I think I think because again, I know part of we we were part of a conversation that where that was people were pushing back on that. I think it was the right choice. I don't think you can in twenty twenty three you can have conversations that we're part of this Christian movement and not answering the biggest objections to the Christian movement that are of that in are in people's hearts and minds. So so I, I think it's think it's good. But that so that being said, what are do you think? What do you see are some of the the biggest obstacles? that people um that are preventing people you know and again we've seen some of the i mean we're, we're recording this before the super bowl just full disclosure so but i know like stuff's gonna blow up and i i didn't i know we're kind of expecting it also millions of people are gonna for the first time maybe in their life read stuff about jesus and i love it and i hope they go to the bible reading plans that he gets us and explore who he is so but at the same time not everyone's gonna be happy it's already been some of that so um and so not just about ads, but what are the biggest obstacles preventing people today uh, from considering and embracing the Christian faith? What do you think? Yeah, I would, two things come to mind. I'm sure there are, are more thoughtful answers than this. But one of them is an assumption that goes back to Immanuel Kant that Francis Shaver talked about, which is that the truths of religion, the truths of Christianity are a subjective preference, not an objective reality. Schaefer famously talked about his upper story and lower story. Lower story is, you know, just it's, it's just what we what you prefer. And people tend to think of religion in that category as something that works for you. Paul and all the New Testament writers are saying these things are actually true. There actually was a dead man in a grave who got out of that grave, and that transforms everything. Um, so that would be one, I think, major obstacle. A second is. Um, what we talked about earlier is that there's all this construct that has been built around and associated with um, Christianity and with the gospel itself. And some of that um, is unfair. Some of it has been thrust upon us by people who don't take time to actually see who we are and what we believe. Some of it is self-deserved. There are some times that, I mean, Ed, you and I both know are very familiar with Christians who are going to, you know, they're going to say that Jesus is more important in politics, but when the rubber meets the road, it's it's political alignment that is ultimately the key unifier. And so I think um, you know, there's there's a lot of 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 kind of a tangled mess that people have to weave through to say, okay, who is who is Jesus and what is he actually saying to me? And what is he offering to me? And is this a 
Is this is this one among many religious preferences that I can try on, or is this really is Jesus who He says He is, which is the one Lord, the Creator of the universe, who died for my sin and rose from the dead? Hmm. Judy, I want to come back to something that you mentioned, and this is around college students coming into, let's say, a church like Summit or any one of the churches that our listeners are leading, um, and they are already coming with preconceived notions about how they want to hear certain subjects talked about. Um, but I want to speak specifically about, uh, or I want to address specifically those who grew up in church. And so they have the culture of Christianity and the church culture of church going. They may not have the content as much. Now I can purchase a bunch of your books and give it to them, but um, provide some coaching. Like how can we come alongside um, those who are used to Christian culture? And maybe they're in a season where they're kind of turned off by Christian culture but they haven't really engaged Christian content, the, the content of the gospel. They wouldn't know Romans deeply. Uh, mm-hmm. Reading your book can be helpful with that. But if I'm pastoring, you know, uh, 20-somethings coming to my church, and this is their background, I and mean, it's a mission field, right? What's your, what's, what are some coaching points that you can give to listeners that find themselves in this situation? Yeah, well, let's start with the language you use there, Daniel. I, I've loved, and Ed and I have talked about this before, um, I love Michael Green's distinction of um, what he calls the missionary and the defender of orthodoxy. I love it. Um, yeah, and he says in the first century, you had missionaries, defenders of orthodoxy. They, 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 they exist side by side in the church, and the church needs both of them. A missionary, a defender of orthodoxy is trying to show how distinct the Christian message is from the world. He is confronting error. He or she is confronting error. A missionary is trying to bridge the gap and trying to to show how the questions the culture is answering, well, Christianity is actually answering those. And what Michael Green shows is that the two are complementary gifts. They start at different places and they're angled different ways, but they should never contradict. And in a healthy spiritual environment, they're going to actually um, mutually reinforce each other and support each other. Um, We have a blogosphere culture, especially in evangelical Christianity, that loves the defenders of orthodoxy. And, you know, we have some who are just like all missionary and they think there's no role of of, of, of kind of like contending for these core things of the faith. We really need both. Um, uh, uh, Loveless, um, Richard Loveless used to have this analogy. He, he, he compared it to red blood cells and white blood cells on a body. Um, you know, if you have too many white blood cells, you die. I can't remember the name of the disease. If you have too many red blood cells, that's leukemia. Well, you also die. He says you got to have the right balance of both. Well, you got to have in a church, you've got to have red blood cells. Think of that as your missionary evangelistic zeal. You've also got to have the right amount of, of white blood cells, which are defending orthodoxy. And only then are you going to be healthy. Um, I think pastors tend to lean toward one of those two. And we really have to take both because both are our assignment. I'm a garter of doctrine that was committed once for all to the saints. And I'm, you know, for Second Timothy, guard your faith and your doctrine. But I'm also... Um, there to be seeking and saving the lost. And that means going out of my way to make this message understandable, perceptible, and remove the obstacles um, for those that are, are the farthest from God. Yeah, good. We're actually, you know, it's, you probably guessed this, that that when you have two hosts, we were sending each other notes and I really like that. That's good. Uh, that's insightful and helpful. Talk to me a little bit about how you would, you know, you're in the resource triangle. People don't know that from you know, it's, it's not as common. It's not as famous as it used to be. It's it's kind of like it, people like I remember in the like the, the two thousand two thousand the research triangle, I guess. But it's just it's just this place. A lot of secular people. People here you're in North Carolina, and they think maybe they think you know you're in a rural part of the Bible Belt. You're not. Um, I think the percentage of PhDs per capita is higher right. than anywhere else That's in the, the yeah, right. highest in the nation. 
Um, so you get some skeptical people. And so how do you explain the gospel to somebody with no Christian background, no Christian vocabulary? Um, yeah, let's start with that. And then I want to ask some follow-ups with that. So how, how, do you, how do you do that to them? Now, again, you're still preaching, so, but you're still having these conversations. And so how do you have those conversations? How do you train others to have those conversations? Yeah, obviously you can't preach the book of Romans every year, but that was probably if you could. the reason that I found the most people that were really in that category you just described that that really felt like I was answering the questions that they were asking. You know, in, in, in for those kinds of people, merely showing Jesus as, you know, the way to have a balanced life and a good family and to be a good leader and to be, you know, whatever, fulfilled, um, that, that just is not, they're asking deeper questions. And, you know, it's like, I kind of tell them, you know, tongue in cheek, it's like, I'm not asking you to drink a couple of, you know, glasses of crazy milk. I need you to buy the whole crazy cow. And here's why. Here's why that's reasonable. It's like Daniel in the book of um, in the book of Daniel. He's not trying to to spur on Nebuchadnezzar and the 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 wise men to to, to better behavior. He's trying to say the whole basis of how you think about the world is wrong. And here is what is what there's a God from heaven who is speaking. Um, so I just tend to I want to engage it straight on, and to say that yes, I'm a missionary. It's it's like when I lived overseas among Muslims. You know, you were just saying there is that you've got to make some choices about what really, you know, where is authority? What is the role of, of what, what is prophecy showing us about these things? And so, um, you know, that that uh, person I talked about at the beginning who had the privilege of, you know, reading this book alongside me, she becomes a became a Christian through the 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 the, uh, the pro, not just of, of reading the book, a lot of different things. But this was part of it is just dealing with these questions head on. And she even said to me, she said, I, I, I feel like when you don't take this stuff for granted and you will put it in terms accessible for somebody like me, there's a lot of us out there who want to actually hear what is the reasonableness for this thing. That's a pillar of Western society. Is there any reasonableness for it? Show us that there is. So, so JD, let me follow up. What if the issue uh, is, is not a content issue. What if somebody is, you know, they know the gospel and they've lived it, let's say most of their life, but They've had painful church experiences. How, how can you? How does it help uh, the gospel help somebody who's come from a painful church background? Yeah, pastorally, um, that's probably the most difficult situation for me to deal with because it's like they've already been across that bridge and it's been burnt, you know. And so I can't. I'm not leading them to something new. I'm trying to lead them back to something that has been messed up. Um, I mean, certainly you've got you know plenty of New Testament evidence of the apostles and Jesus ministering to people like that. I mean, ultimately Jesus said they would know us by our love. And I think that in a truly gospel community, you're going to see, um, you're just going to see a kind of love and forgiveness and tenderness and acceptance that thaws the ice um, that forms around a heart that has been hurt. And I, I routinely tell people, I'm like, there's, there's literally no shortcut to that. It, there's not a magic bullet. There's not a secret answer. There's not a Easter service. There's not a special song that's going to change all that. It's 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 caring enough about somebody to to let the ice thaw through a continual sort of like radiation of love toward them, and knowing when to have those key conversations where you say, "Hey, this happened. This was wrong, and this was the the, the error. Here is the truth." Um, I, I talked to a, a young professional on Sunday who was asking this exact question that you're asking. 
And I said, don't beat them over the head continually. You don't always be working every conversation to, to, you know, back to this, but look for a few ties, like maybe once every six months. And then you just, you, you, you sit down with them and you explain again, these things. And then you go for six months, just loving them and praying for them. Cause that's how the Holy spirit melts the ice around their heart. Yeah. It is interesting how the, you know, both relationship and, and content that points to the plausibility of the gospel uh, are going to be key parts of that. I, you know, I, I think sometimes like here, read this book. Well, no, it's it's also something that comes from you. And uh, but again, I, again, let's come back to again. It's essential Christianity, the heart of the gospel in ten words is the book. J.D. Greer's course. Can I have one thing? I just Please. really moved to say this, and I'll make this really quick. Please. I've learned this as a dad. Um, mm-hmm. My kids, it's not a lack of explanation. Um, it really is like the, the Lord. He humbles me to say I'm the only one that produces spiritual fruit. And I've got to, I've got to teach it to him. I've got to model it before him. But ultimately, I'm a farmer, not a mechanic. A mechanic, you know, is you hear a rattle on the engine, you pull the car over, you tighten it up, and it makes stops rattling. Uh, a farmer plants a seed, and then if the seed's not growing, the worst thing you can do is dig up the seed. Mm. It's at that point between the seed and the soil, mm. and that's what we're doing is is we're putting that seed there and saying, God, you're you're the only one that gives the increase. So sorry to cut you off, but no, no, it's all good. It's all good. You've cut me off lots of time in the course of our long friendship. So I get it. I get it. They're usually, they're usually deserved. And the exactly. audience is really grateful. It's no, usually was, the audience is usually grateful when I do. That's right. That's right. They send me letters that mention how grateful they are um, for that. For those of you who don't know, JD and I have been friends a long time. Sometimes, you know, what happens is sometimes you joke like this sometimes. Like I was at Moody Church and the executive pastor and I are really good friends. And we'd make jokes and people would be like, oh, are you guys mad at each other? <laughs> like, no, we literally go out to dinner like regularly with our with our wives. And everything. Anyway, it's, it's sort of fun. Ed, Ed, Ed led my parents to Christ when I was a newborn. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, you know, and I taught him, I taught him everything he knows. Not everything I know, but I taught him everything he knows. Um, but anyway, poor, poor uh, Daniel is uh, just thinking what in the world is is going on. So, all right, so let's, let's continue. Um, so, so what is your um, encouragement to, because again, you, you know, we're going to have these conversations, we're going to have these resources, but um, you make some pretty big claims in the book, which I think is really good because I think we need to make big claims. I think your your comment about not just drinking the crazy milk but buying the cow is so good. Um, is that but you make the claim that Christianity is more inclusive than other worldviews, which I think is a really significant claim. But I want you to explain it a little bit because I think it's sort of uh, you know remind people the word what the word is and it kind of points people to kind of how you frame a lot of these things in the book. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, when I was in college, the classic, everybody's heard this, uh, some version of this parable, the three blind men that fall into the elephant, uh, fall, excuse me, fall into the pit with the elephant. They all reach out and figure out what's down there in the pit with them. And one grabs a tusk and says, it's a gigantic spear. One grabs a leg and says, it's a big tree. One grabs the tail and says, it's a broom. And the moral of the story is all three needed to humbly listen to each other and not think that they had the exclusive view of truth. Um, Leslie Newbigin, who was a you know missionary in India, um, he, he actually talked about that parable comes from India. And he said, you know, the one person in the entire story who sees the whole elephant is the narrator. The narrator knows that each of the three blind men are only seeing a part because he or she sees the whole elephant. And he said, that's kind of arrogant to claim for yourself the one thing you deny to everybody else. It's pretty arrogant to say you see and everybody else is blind. Well, in our day, you know, people say, well, you know, the the, the the kind of the one universal thing that we believe is that all religions contribute, all morality is is good. But the only way you can say that is if you yourself see the very thing you're denying to other people. So 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 the idea that there are certain views that are exclusive and certain views that are not is it's it, it's logically inconsistent and it, it folds in on itself. You know, the other part of that is um, I've never met somebody 
who uh, who you know, no matter how inclusive they said they said they were, didn't have a who's in and who's out list. Um, you know, let's just take a. I don't mean to stereotype here, but take somebody on the far left um, who is you know just doesn't believe in God at all. They they have a very clear understanding of who is a good person, and it doesn't include people who you know throw throw plastic straws, uh, you know, into the intercoastal waterway or people that are part of the NRA or, you know, there's, there's a very clear group, you know, so, so you just kind of acknowledge any truth claim is going to be by definition, it's going to be exclusive. That's just the, there's no way around that. Well, Christianity actually says the gospel actually takes um, that kind of idea and says you're included, not because you're smarter, not because you're better, not because of anything about you, but because of a gift that was offered to you. And instead of 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 garnering the pride that goes with other types of exclusive claims, which is I'm in, you're out because I got the degree, you didn't. I'm smart. I recycle. I, whatever it is you put in that, that I, it, it says I am accepted through nothing about me, but because of a God who gave a gift and revealed himself to me. Therefore, and again, borrowing a little bit of the language of Tim Keller here, therefore Christianity is exclusive like every other worldview, but it's the most inclusive exclusivity the world's ever seen. And it creates the most inclusive community where it's really believed and where it's really preached. Um, Wherever you see the gospel preached historically in the New Testament throughout history, it's going to create bodies of people that come from different backgrounds, they have different skin colors, they're different ages, different socioeconomic strata, but they come together because the the gift and the unity that they have received in Christ, that's a key word, receive, the unity they've received in Christ outweighs the differences they bring into the community and destroys the pride that has previously separated them. Fascinating. And, I, and I, of course, I would say I agree. Um, it seems that you know, I live in Chicago land. I guess I live in California now, but for a few months, and you live in a very more progressive part of North Carolina. Um, it does seem that people have sort of uh, that religious faith and practice now is increasingly correlated, not not one to one correlation, but is correlated to um, you know being more politically conservative, being more culturally conservative, and uh, and there are exceptions. This correlation does not mean you know one hundred percent. It doesn't mean causation. And when you look, you mentioned earlier people on the left, they would tend to be, uh, with the African-Americans being the, the, the more substantial exception, but they would tend to be less religious. Matter of fact, uh, this is sometimes called the God gap. People write on this. And so this is not a controversial subject. So people shouldn't get mad at me about saying this. Um, you know, Math doesn't care about your feelings. This is just a, a factual reality. So if that's the case, you are, you know, perceived in a conservative space with all the cultural trappings and things that maybe people on the more left side don't like. Um, so how do I share about Jesus? And again, you know, maybe because we've just seen some of this and the he gets us stuff. How do I share about Jesus to an irreligious world that's going to be more progressive, more left leaning from what is predominantly, though not exclusively, I'm, I'm using all the caveat words, but you get what I'm saying, uh, from a religious world that's more, uh, tends to also track with more conservative issues. How do we bridge that gap for gospel purposes? Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd want to do, again, trying to think like a missionary, is is many progressive are, are progressive for moral reasons. They bring a concern about the poor, and they bring a concern about equality, and they bring concerns about oppressive power structures that are legitimate concerns. I'm not saying all their solutions are right. I'm saying they are at least legitimate questions. I want to affirm that, and I want to say that Jesus-loving people would care about the same things 
and shame on the church and members of the church where they haven't cared about that and affirmed that. That'd be the, the, the first way that I try to bridge the gap. The second way is I really do want to distinguish between primary and secondary issues. I, I have my own political answers to some of those, and but I try never, I, as a pastor, I never talk about those secondary questions from the pulpit um, because you know how I, I think we're going to solve the problem of poverty and health care and global warming. Those, those questions are, are they're important but they're not the essential question. And I want to have a church. In fact, I just had a conversation on Sunday with somebody who really believes, you know, um, really believes that a very active, big government, more, let's say, socialist leaning government is that's just going to be best for the poor. Um, You know what? Whether I agree with that or not, let's just, I I wouldn't say that's not the way that I'm going to lean in that discussion, but that's a, that's a perfectly fine, um, a way for somebody to come as they work out some of those secondary questions. And that's part of the beauty of the gospel is there can be a unity, even when there is a a range of opinion on some of the secondary questions. So I would just say being able to distinguish between what's primary and essential, what is secondary, even tertiary. Um, The third thing is, and I'll just say this to other believers, um, we're not doing ourselves any favor by trying to back down on what is controversial and the Bible, when the Bible clearly teaches it, whether it's the value of life, the sanctity of of sexuality and gender. Um, I mean, these are things that are supposed to set us apart. And yes, sometimes we're villainized for them, but um, they also become the means by which God radiates the beauty of, of his shalom, his creation. And we make a big mistake when we, um, when we try to mute what the Bible clearly teaches in order to make our message more palatable to our society. It doesn't mean I talk about everything equally all the time. I mean, as a missionary, I'm trying to to think about what the right thing to say is, but Jesus was full of grace and truth. And Christians tend to gravitate toward one or the other. Um, truth without grace, that's a fundamentalist. Grace without truth, that's a liberal. Um, the role of the Jesus follower is to be more truthful than the, fun, than the fundamentalist and more gracious than the liberal. Because grace and truth together, um, John says, that's the light that the darkness cannot overcome. And that's what we've got to be. Fascinating and helpful conversation. And I just want to affirm the uh, book to you. You know, we have a lot of people on and a lot of people, I mean, J.D. doesn't just come on when he has a book because we have this great, you really should listen to, and we'll link in the show notes, you really should listen to the thing in the Great Communicator series that he was a part of and, and the other uh, nine people in the series as well. Uh, it was really helpful, but but I'm thankful for the book. And again, I there's a reason I endorsed it. Um, I want to keep able to pick it up. It's called Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. And part of the fun is, is the person he's talking about, I actually happen to also know, uh, who's, you know, come to faith in Christ and to see people, um, and to see so many people come to faith in Christ. So it's not just a hypothetical, hey, people need Jesus, but the church and JD are deeply involved in it as well. You may have noticed that the we didn't have any more questions from Daniel Yang. So uh, so what happened? He got tired of the conversation, dropped off the conversation. No, that's not true. Uh, what happened is um, we lost the internet at Wheaton College. So I'm not there. I'm in California. And it appears we got a pair of bills more at Wheaton College. We have So Daniel's texted us and he, he says- It's the balloon. It's the, the balloon. balloon. It's, it the, it's the Chinese spy balloon. But I think, is there another? I mean, that was, I think that's a few weeks ago by the time this is released. But it could have been. It could have been. been. So uh, they're blocking the, the internet, the interwebs. Anyway, we've been talking to J.D. Greer. Be sure to check out Essential Christianity, the Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. You can learn more about J.D. Greer at jdgreer.com. But there's extra vowels in that name. It's J-R-J-D-G-R-E-E. 
AR.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews of the ministry leaders, again, all at churchleaders.com podcast. And again, I sound a little whiny just because I know like so many of you listen to the podcast, but you're not leaving reviews. So I'm not going to, I'm going to have one a few more weeks. We'll see. But JD is going to leave a review about, about how awesome uh, Andy and uh, Daniel Yang's voice is. And we'll go from there. Thanks everybody for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.